Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. Our scripture reading today is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the verses 19 through 29. Let us hear God's holy word. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you, that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. The text for the sermon today is taken from this passage, John 1 and verse 29, where John the Baptist exclaims, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his holy word to our hearts. Dear friends, in ancient times, whenever a king came into a certain town or city, a herald would go before him to announce his arrival. He would rise on horseback and say with a loud voice, The king is coming! The king is coming! Get ready to greet him! And upon hearing this, everyone would have to stop what he or she was doing and stand at attention. Well, the words of our text today were spoken by the greatest herald of all time, John the Baptist. John was the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was sent by God to prepare the way for the coming of Christ. And he did this by urging people to repent of their sins and be baptized. John's ministry was greatly blessed by the Lord. Many people, including some of the religious leaders of the Jews, came to listen to John preach and to present themselves for baptism. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we read, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. In fact, so great was John's popularity 
that many of the people at that time openly wondered whether he was the Christ. Well, as John's popularity grew, the religious leaders of the Jews in Jerusalem sent a delegation of priests and Levites to investigate. And these men wanted to know whether John was the Messiah, and John told them plainly he was not. Rather, quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3, he told them that he was merely a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Then he went on to tell them that there was one who would come after him, who was preferred before him, whose shoe latchet he was not worthy to unloose. And he was speaking, of course, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that they should be inquiring about and seeking after, not him. He was only a forerunner. Well, the very next day, the one whom John had spoken of appeared. John was at his usual place on the banks of the Jordan River, and suddenly he looked up, and there was Jesus coming towards him. And as he did, John said to those who were standing near, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John here heralds the coming of Christ, and it's to this subject that we turn our attention with the help of the Lord. The theme for the sermon is exactly that. John heralds the coming of Christ. And we'll consider, first of all, the attention he draws, secondly, the assurance he provides, and thirdly, the invitation he extends. John begins his announcement of the coming of Christ with a simple and yet dramatic word. It's the very first word in our text. It's the word, behold. Now, many preachers throughout the ages have misinterpreted this word as a command. They have said that in using this word, John is commanding his audience to look at or to behold the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, with the eye of faith, to trust in him as the only hope and ground of their salvation, and thus to receive the gift of everlasting life. Now, while there's some truth to this, John did indeed want his audience to look to Christ for salvation, as we'll see in a moment. That's not what John is saying here. The word here is not a command, but rather an exclamation. John is not saying, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He's saying, Behold, exclamation mark, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. By using this word, John is expressing wonder and amazement. As he watched Christ coming towards him, John, by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, understood that Christ was about to begin his public ministry. His ministry was about to cease. The way of the Lord had been prepared. Now Christ was about to perform his ministry. And understanding the significance of this moment, John exclaims, Behold! Here we see the fulfillment of John's prophecy that he must decrease and Christ must increase. The purpose of John's ministry, as he himself said, was to prepare the way of the Lord. He did not want to attract attention to himself, but rather to focus the attention of the people away from himself onto the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see further evidence of that in verse 35 of our text chapter, where for the second time, John sees Jesus walking. And he says to two of his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God. Then in verse 37, we read that the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And here, John proves himself to be the true friend of the bridegroom. 
He was not interested in attracting his own following. His only desire was to see men and women follow Christ. But there's something else that's significant about this word behold. Not only does it direct the attention of his audience away from John to Jesus, it also directs their attention away from the ceremonial sacrifices of the law to the fulfillment of those sacrifices in Christ. It shifts the focus of their religion from the type to the anti-type, from the shadow to the reality. It's as though John was saying, Behold, this is the one to whom all of the Old Testament sacrifices point. This is the one in whom they find their fulfillment. The blood of bulls and goats cannot atone for your sins, but here is one who can. He is the ultimate lamb of sacrifice, the lamb of God whose blood is able to atone not only for your sins, but for the sins of the entire world. Here John functions as the last Old Testament priest, presenting sacrifice for sin, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as such, the account before us marks the beginning of a new phase in redemptive history. With the commencement of Christ's public ministry, the sacrifices of the Old Testament dispensation gradually lose their significance. No longer would they have the prominence that they once did. Now the focus, the object of men's faith, was to be on Christ and Christ alone. And knowing this, John says, Behold. Oh, what a glorious comfort there is in this word for sinners today. Do you know that you are a sinner before God? Do you feel the blows of the law of God? with its strict requirements and prohibitions? Has the law and the preaching of the law brought you to an end in yourself? Have you learned with the publican in the temple to beat upon your breast and to cry out, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner? If so, listen to the words of our text. Behold, look away from yourself, look away from the law, look away from your sin. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Well, perhaps you say, well, how do I know that he can take away my sin? Well, because John says he can. And that brings us to our second point. After directing the attention of his audience to the Lord Jesus, John provides of him a fitting description. Behold, he says, the Lamb of God. Now, that's rather surprising. We might have expected John, as the herald of the Messiah, to introduce Christ as the King or Savior, or as the Messiah, but he doesn't do so. Instead, he calls him the Lamb of God. Now, why does he use that particular phrase? Well, some have argued that John calls Jesus a lamb because he's like a lamb. And so, just as a lamb is meek and gentle, pure and innocent, so was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is all true, of course. But that's probably not what John had in mind, at least not in the first place. That's because immediately afterwards, John speaks of Jesus as taking away the sin of the world. And so the primary meaning in view here is not the qualities of the Lamb, but rather the function of the Lamb as an atoning sacrifice for sin. We know from the books of Moses in the Old Testament that in order for sins to be forgiven, atonement had to be made. This was done by means of a sacrifice. The people of Israel would bring an animal to the priest, and the priest would take the animal, kill it, 
and then burn it on the altar. Now the people brought many kinds of animals depending on the sacrifices that they needed. Sometimes they brought a goat, sometimes they brought a sheep or a bullock. But at other times they brought a lamb. Lambs were used in various sacrifices, but most notably in the morning and evening sacrifice. Every day, morning and evening, the priest, as representative of the people, would place his hands on the head of a little lamb and confess over it the sins of the people. Then he would take the lamb, kill it, and sprinkle its blood on the altar and offer its body as a burnt offering. In this way, God taught the people of Israel that sin was a very serious matter. And the only way one could stand before God and live was by the shedding of blood, which was the penalty of sin. And by calling Jesus a lamb, therefore, John is pointing to the purpose for Christ's coming into the world. He was a lamb who, by dying on the cross and shedding his blood, would literally take away the sin of the world. And so Jesus is a lamb, but he's no ordinary lamb. He is the lamb of God, John says. Now why does John call him the lamb of God? Well, let me suggest two reasons. First of all, because he was appointed by God. God the Father appointed Christ his son to be the sacrifice for sin from all eternity. And that took place in the covenant of redemption. The covenant of redemption is that agreement in which each of the three persons of the Holy Trinity covenanted together to save the elect. The Father chose a certain number from the whole human race, such as should be saved. The Son agreed to atone for their sins by dying on the cross. And the Holy Spirit agreed to apply the benefits of Christ's sacrifice to all whom the Father had given into his hand. This is what Peter refers to when he says that Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world, 1 Peter 1, verse 20. And also in Revelation 13, verse 8, where Christ is described as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. From all eternity, God appointed his beloved Son, to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Now the fact that Christ was appointed by God implies that he is the only sacrifice for sin. And that's why John calls him the Lamb of God. Not a Lamb of God, but the Lamb of God. In other words, no other Lamb could atone for the sins of God's people. Christ and Christ alone is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But secondly, he is called the Lamb of God because he was provided by God. No ordinary lamb could make atonement for sins. Hebrews 10 verse 4 says, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Only the blood of of God's Son could do that. And God knew that. And that's why he did what he did. That's why he sent his Son into the world. He provided us in his son with a lamb who could take away this sin. We have a beautiful foreshadowing of this from the life of Abraham. One day, you remember, God commanded Abraham 
to take his son, his only son Isaac, and to sacrifice him on the altar that he would show him. And Abraham traveled for three days until he came to the place where God would have him sacrifice his son. And Abraham built the altar, he placed the wood on the altar, and then finally he laid his son on the wood of the altar. And as Abraham was about to plunge his knife into Isaac's breast, an angel called to him from heaven, commanding him not to lay a hand on his son. And so Isaac was reprieved at the last minute. And just then Abraham saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. And the ram was provided by God as a substitute for Isaac. The ram was killed so that Isaac could be spared. And this is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for his people. Like the ram, he too was killed so that sinners like us could be saved. But how did he do this? What about our sins? Well, he took them away. Notice what John says. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now commentators are divided as to the precise meaning of the Greek verb here. The verb can have two meanings, actually. It can mean to take away, as we have it here in our translation. And in that case, it speaks of the removal of sin. But it can also mean to bear. In that case, it speaks of the punishment for sin. Now, probably both of these ideas are in view here. John is saying that in bearing the punishment for sin, Christ takes it away. And he does so so completely that not a trace of our sin is left. And you notice, too, that John uses the present tense here, taketh away, not will take away, not the future, but the present. Yes, even as John saw Jesus approaching him, he was taking away the sin of the world. It's important that we underscore this. Too often we think that Christ bore the wrath of God against sin only when he hung on the cross, but that is not the case. The cross marked the climax of his sufferings, but Jesus suffered throughout his entire life. Throughout his entire life, he was taking away the sin of the world. Now, what does that mean exactly? Is John saying that Christ took away the sin of every single person in the world? Well, there are those who say yes. They teach that Christ died for everyone and that ultimately everyone will be saved. But that clearly cannot be what John is saying. And the reason for that is simply this. Because elsewhere in John's gospel, as well as in his first epistle, he states that Christ died only for God's people, for the elect. For example, in John 10, Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life. For whom? Not for the whole world, not for every single person head for head, but for his sheep. And what is more, in John 17, in the high priestly prayer of Christ, Jesus says to his Father, Glorify thy Son, so that he might, have, he might give eternal life. To whom? To everyone? No, but to all whom thou hast given him. And a few verses later, he says, I pray not for the world, but for those whom thou hast given me. If John was teaching that Christ died for all men, then he would be contradicting himself, not to mention the Lord Jesus and other New Testament writers. Besides, the word world, especially in John's writings, doesn't always mean every single person head for head. For example, in John 12, verse 19, John quotes the Pharisees as saying this, 
Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. Now, obviously, the Pharisees do not mean that every single person in the entire world was going after the Lord Jesus because that was clearly not the case. People in China weren't going after him, or people in Africa. What is more, in John 18, verse 20, Jesus said to the high priest, I speak openly to the world. And again, that cannot be interpreted to mean that Jesus spoke to every single person in the entire world because he didn't. And then so is the case here. When John says that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, he does not mean every single person in the entire world. Well, what then does he mean? Well, when John uses the word world, he's referring to people from every tongue and tribe and nation, both Jew and Gentile. So he's saying that Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of people throughout the entire world. Not all people, but only those whom the Father has given him from all eternity. His chosen people, the elect. Now that truth is also expressed in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 7, question and answer 20. The question is asked, are all men then, as they perished in Adam, saved by Christ? That's a very reasonable question. Because in the previous Lord's Days, Lord's Days 2 through 4, our catechism tells us that when Adam fell, we all fell in him. Well, now it asks the question, if that's true, if we all fell in Adam, are we then all saved by Christ? And the answer is no. Only those who are engrafted into him and receive all his benefits by a true faith. So by means of this answer, the Heidelberg Catechism flatly denies all forms of universalism. Christ did not die for all men. He did not even die to make salvation possible for all men. He died only for his people, for the elect. They and they alone will be saved because they and they alone are engrafted into him and receive all his benefits by a true faith. Now, someone says, perhaps if that is true, then Before I believe, I first need to find out if I'm one of the elect. But that's not true. The Bible nowhere commands us to find out if we are one of the elect in order to come to Christ. What it does command us to do is to repent and believe. And the promise of the gospel is that whoever does this shall be saved. The point is, those who repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ they have the forgiveness of sins. Christ, as the Lamb of God, has taken them away, so completely, in fact, that it is if we had never sinned. And so you see how John provides us with such great assurance. He tells us that he is the Lamb of God, and then he tells us that he is able and also willing to take away our sins. Well, my friend, if that is true, have you looked to this Savior? That brings us to our third and final point. By pointing us to Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John is kind of urging us, not explicitly, but implicitly, isn't he, to come to him and to believe on his name. And why does he urge us to do that? Well, because apart from him, we cannot be saved. Dear friend, your religion cannot save you. Your good works cannot save you. Your spiritual experiences cannot save you. Only Christ can save you. 
And therefore, we need to look to him. Now, what does that mean? It means to trust in him and his atoning sacrifice on the cross as the only hope and ground of our salvation. In other words, we must embrace him by faith. It doesn't have to be a strong faith. It doesn't have to be an assured faith. It simply has to be faith. And where does that faith come from? Well, it doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from the Holy Spirit, who works this faith in our hearts through the preaching of the Word of God. Faith is like an open, empty hand that embraces Christ and all his benefits, and it's by means of such faith that God is pleased to save sinners. Oh, my friend, what about you today? Are you laboring under conviction of sin? Do you long to be delivered from the penalty and the power of sin? Have your sins become a burden for you? Have they caused you to lose all hope in yourself? Oh, if so, listen to the words of our text. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Look to Christ, believe on him, trust in his active and passive obedience as the only hope and ground of your salvation. And the promise of the word of God is, you shall be saved. All your sins will be taken away, and you may stand before God and live. What powerful words these are. When Charles Spurgeon was at the height of his popularity, he was scheduled to preach in the Crystal Palace of London, one of the largest auditoriums in England at the time. The day before, he decided to go there to test out the acoustics, because they didn't have sound equipment like we do today. So Spurgeon, thinking that the place was empty, mounted on the platform and with his great bellowing voice recited the very words of our text. Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And he recited that text several times from various positions of the platform so he could determine how his voice was projecting. Well, unbeknownst to Spurgeon, there was a caretaker sweeping in the stands above. And as he listened to this text and pondered the meaning of it, the man was converted right there and then. He began the day in a state of spiritual death, and he ended it in a state of spiritual life. Oh, may that also be true for us. May God grant that having heard this announcement, we may respond to it in faith. Those who do will live They will receive the pardon of all of their sins and everlasting life. But those who do not, they will surely perish. My friend, which will it be for you? Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us directly at banneroftruth at frcna.org. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, 
please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.